You've scanned the headlines, you've read the articles and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by AllWork.Space. Today, we welcome Zoe Ellis Moore, a pioneer in commercial property with over two decades of experience. From leading marketing for the UK's inaugural BID to reshaping commercial spaces worldwide, her journey has redefined the future of work. Tune in as she shares her expertise and unwavering dedication to creating spaces that cater to human needs and market demands. Hello and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. I'm Jo Mernier and today I'm thrilled to have Zoe Ellis-Moore on the podcast with us today. Uh, Zoe is the founder of Spaces to Places. She's a flexible workspace expert and she has 20 years experience in the commercial property industry. And today we're going to be talking about flexible workspaces, uh, what makes them such an important part of the business landscape today and how they might evolve over coming years. So welcome Zoe and thank you for joining us today. Likewise, thank you so much for inviting me. Good to have you on the show. Um, and could you start by giving us a, a bit of a whirlwind tour of a uh, flexible workspace, um, what it is, where it came from and how and why it's grown over recent years? Yes, sure. And I think sometimes it gets confused now, sort of everybody's talking about flex space, but actually when you think about flex space, everybody now sort of the terminology space as a service as well. And so it could be blurry. It's basically the pay-as-you-go model. That's how I see it. So it could be similar to co-living, build-to-rent, apart hotels. But by adding that workspace or office side, we're very much just talking about workspaces there and for the premise of this conversation, my expertise. So with the sort of defining the flexible workspace sector, it's probably what it's not. It's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. So there's a traditional model and traditionally businesses, larger businesses have leased the property um, or they've purchased it. So they, they have got much more longer commitments to that asset. So it's larger companies, more 100 employees where they're fitting it out and managing that whole space themselves. And then uh, the opposite side is much more of the model that is a flexible office or it's traditionally been known as serviced office, a business centre. And the product there is pay-as-you-go model, all services, all the price, everything's encapsulated from receptionist to your Wi-Fi. You've got offices there, meeting rooms. You've got sort of dedicated desks as well, co-working, hot desking. So the products there, you buy what, which products you want as well, and you get a ready-made community. That's the big one there with sort of the flexible office sector. And you can go from anything from an hour booking a meeting room to usually about three years contract horizon there. And what's interesting now, there now is a middle product because traditionally, sort of flexible offices, much more smaller companies, but we're now we're seeing larger and larger sizes of companies coming in. So much more than 20 plus sort of companies. But this middle ground for is, I'm saying managed solution that's somewhere between a traditional office lease and the traditional sort of flex office sector. So that's growing as well with new providers, sort of kit, um, you've got MetSpace, Business Cube, some specialists in the sectors. But often what's confusing is a lot of these flexible office providers are also sort of moving more into the managed space solution where a company can have their own name above the door and sometimes best of both worlds that they might have a floor in a flexible office provision. And so they've got meeting rooms that are separate as well. And then they've got the best of both worlds. They've got the ready-made community of the sort of 
the flex office as well. So this is where it gets confusing because there's a lot of blurring happening within the sector. But it's more what customers are now seeing much more wider selection and choice, which is great for the customer in sort of occupier perspective. And I know you said about sort of just in the sector and the growth as well. Mm. It's because it's very much been demand led to this consumer world now. We're seeing constant growth, 2021, 3% increase in providers, 5% um, last year as well. The trajectory sort of saying annual growth rates between sort of six to eleven percent. Mintel are saying there's all the office predictions of saying that this chunk where we talk about the traditional sector that makes up sort of ninety percent of the market with a traditional office lease is slowly declining, and that the sort of the flex office sector is going to increase from that ten percent to thirty percent. So we're really seeing a transition there. And when you look at graphs as well with the the rise of this flex office sector. When I started in commercial property, average lease length sort of 20 years. Now we've really gone down to seven to five years for leases. So businesses are not committing for longer terms and hence why that flex has plays a role there. Yeah, that is a huge difference. And and that's all relating to flex offices, but the flex can also be attributed to um, other types of workspace, can't it? Like industrial uh, manufacturing space um even kitchen space There's, it's yeah. growing into all these other sectors and industries the one that's really fast moving in demand is labs and sort of oxford innovation are huge in this area where businesses want the lab space the equipment you know it costs so much with some of this equipment as well and so these niche providers are specialists are coming up as well that's really mm-hmm. you know of serving a role and demand led as well. Um, and uh, one thing we spoke about recently was that these um, these workspaces or these places they should be designed for human needs. Um, so thinking about the um, the flexible office, uh, what is it that makes a good a good workspace? Uh, what is it that um, typical typically on an occupier's wish list? Yeah, so good workspaces. Um, they sort of look basically on a few principles on how you work is it's got somewhere that you rest where you can focus where you've got movement where you've got belonging and growth those are sort of the checklists there but the good providers and thinking about there's so many different niches and it does depend on budgets and different things like that as well so there isn't you know good to somebody means so much in different senses to other people I think that's always the one mm-hmm. um, but as a starting point I would say there has been a flight to quality that's well been documented it's about the best in the rest of the industry mm-hmm. um, and it's now it's got to be better than your home it's got to be is it worth the commute this seems to be one of the criteria that as an individual everybody's marking it on the instant office report was fascinating from this year this um, sort of september and it was all about service and just basic things of great customer service there and i think this is where it's really moved to hospitality you know you want things to work if you've got wi- the wi-fi must work you know there's these critical success factors if you've got a sparkling water tap make sure sparkling water comes out like a plug and make sure the plug socket works these are the basics that it seems to be with this sort of survey that instant office getting much more 
the end user is demanding that everything works and is top quality is much more these things need to be standard but we're seeing a greater um, spectrum that this flight to quality where it's rich amenities you might have sort of food and beverage offering and restaurants um, uh, very much conferencing facilities where there as well the end of your journey so when you come in the shower facilities the esg you know these are all coming in much more higher on the requirement list people but it's more expectations i see it's covid an office isn't a must-have now because you can work from home it's now creating that desirability people want much more so much more the demanding customer on that side yeah so it's really becoming um, a place to work there's also this comfort element where people want to go and perhaps feel as if they're working from home but they know they've got the immunities um, and the, the wi-fi speeds um, and the community and all those sides of things that they would find um, in their office and i like the sort of theory the activity-based working where yeah. you want somewhere that you can go and focus a quieter space than a different kind of space when you were having a informal chit chat with somebody mm -hmm. to a formal boardroom table. There's different, you know, you then change your environment to the right setting for the right tone of that meeting mm -hmm. or you know, the type of work that you're doing as well. Did you is it more, actually people sometimes say that they work better if they're in a busy, noisy environment, better for creativity. So you're, you're working out your tasks and how you work most efficiently yeah. as well and is, does it still come down to location 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 or um has that sort of slipped down the priority list a little bit um, especially since covid and knowing that uh, a big chunk of the work workforce um have, have tried working from home they've discovered that it works they no longer longer need to go into the office as much anymore um so how much is that impacting the need for um location if your prime space um you do need to have location location is still very much a a critical factor there finding the difference now within london where actually around waterloo and Southwark's really come up because of good transport links whereas shoreditch is finding it a bit harder because people are traveling into london and then they have got to commute onwards and so they're now seeing that additional time it's a direct correlation now with in London, the Elizabeth line with a new transport link, people getting in quicker. Those sort of locations near to the Elizabeth line, like Farringdon has seen an increase as well within rates. So location, you know, plays an important part. If you've not got that convenience, then you have to do something more. That's where I see you've got to make it much more of a destination if you're not near to the ideal um, sort of prime premises on the with the higher footfall nearer to a train station then you have got to work harder you might have to discount on price or do something so that's where those factors come into play more rural locations you, you have to make it a destination say put a cafe in a gym all these extra amenities like we think of a business park as well mm -hmm. so yeah it is still location will always come as a factor but it does depend on price the linkage there with price as well how much of a business is expecting to pay yes of course um and it's interesting to think how uh, for those companies that don't need to be in city centers how they could 
how their employees could live further afield. Um, and um, I was actually thinking of a friend of mine who lives nearby, and we're in Northampton, uh, and they, um, people who are buying their house, they uh, work in London full time, but now they're moving away to come further, further uh, north to live near family. Um, and they will be going into the office once a week, and it's an hour and a half train journey, but once a week is doable. Um, and that's um, that's now possible for them. They can move away from London. They can buy, you know, buy a place uh, more or less anywhere they want to, so long as they can still reach the office, you know, uh, once a week or once a fortnight. Um, and we saw this start to happen during COVID when people realised that city centres were not the places they wanted to be, and they started to um, take the initiative to move further afield. And um, this idea of hybrid work came in, and mm. it was the next big thing. Um, how do you see the hybrid work model? Do you think this is still very much a part of our working future or is it starting to diminish a little bit? So we keep on talking about hybrid and most people are ending up at sort of this three to four days in the the office still with hybrid even that is ending up that sort of mark and the McKinsey report actually it was interesting the larger the company the less time people spend in the office the smaller the company so smaller companies have that tighter culture, having people in the office as well. So there's those correlations, but we keep on seeing different outliers where some companies are like, we need to have everybody in the office. Others are like going, you can almost get your work done. You know, you can work a near to home model. So there's different models. Everybody's working out which is the best model, but it is now turning sometimes with job choices people are instantly looking at it it's like that work relationship about the office is about a lifestyle choice do you need to be in your hq just one day a week and then you've got a near to home provision uh, locally so you're working your offices around your purpose and your needs as well mm -hmm. so we're seeing i see it's just opening up a broad around broader range of choice expectations as well as in the region side thinking about the uk specifically people that have worked in more urban areas have higher expectations and so now out into more rural locations the office qualities had to come up because people were expecting much higher quality there mm -hmm. as well but it, it's much more with hybrid i would say it is here to stay and some companies have gone fully remote some fully in the office it is all about you know you've got much more options available to you as an an employer and employee as well for your teams Fantastic. what works it's brilliant for people who who need that that uh, that workplace um, from time to time and actually i was going to ask you where does the flexible workspace fit into this pattern um is it because uh, we might start to see flexible workspaces um as you say popping up in the regions and in the areas outside of towns and cities and so that means that people who do work from home a lot can uh, pop into a, a co-working space and use a day office or just rent a meeting room for a few hours. Um, do you see that uh, giving the flexible workspace industry a, a, even more of a push? Yes, and technology is also, I think, been a factor that now Design is a great app and there's many other apps that actually companies have bought into, like, being able to give your employees cho choice of workplaces and that giving them a budget because i think that's always the one from sort of the employee's perspective about using different workspaces being who's going to pay is it actually an employee if they don't want to work in the hq that's being provided did they have to subsidize so that's always been the debate there mm. now, it's 
people working out where they work best and delivery with their job roles. That's also some people are very much it's the home base working for them because they can be more productive. Others are finding that they must go into an office and that's a necessity. So it is a huge range there and mm -hmm. but a flexible workspace. The big role it plays for large corporates as well is to set up a location, quickly move in. You haven't got the legal, um, as I say, the board approval, sometimes a certain threshold. They can be much more nimble. Companies can be nimble mm -hmm. and opening up, getting a presence, getting teams together much more quickly. See much more uses of collaboration, team spaces and bringing teams together regularly say once a week or once a month that seems to be where flex spaces are providing that provision the hard one for flex providers now is a company taking 100 desks and then wanting they've you know they've got 300 employees and managing when those employees come into the office because most people all want to come in to a flexible workspace all the same day and so the tricky part now is managing supply. And so I think we will see much more dynamic pricing, say on day of the week for using different facilities even. That's really interesting. And this has got to be a bit of a, a challenge, as you say, for um, the, the operators of the flexible workspace. And so far we've talked about um, the people who use it. As for the people who own and run flexible workspaces, um, if they're thinking um, about scaling a flex office business or thinking about which location um, to set up in, that's got to be it's completely changed from just a few years ago hasn't it i think since covid and since these um new trends for remote work and hybrid work um there's like a whole different set of uh, of needs that they've got to tick now yeah and i would say it's going back to it is a hospitality business now in some ways running a workspace with unless you've gone say on price and you've added in technology, if that's your proposition that you're offering great quality workspace at a lower price, that is a provision there. But if you're going for that rich community vibe, it does take a lot to make that work. And I think where we work with lots of operators that are expanding and growing, quite often it is the challenge of scalability. When it's one location, you can control it much more easily. It's very much some often founder led, maybe they've had another business that they've been successful in sell. Quite a lot of people come into the industry and it sometimes it's a passion project, but really to get it to scale, it is then going, what is repeatable and replicable? What do people need and offering that service from our perspective, you know, from the perspective we're working with or with scale. And the hard one is property isn't replicable. It isn't like, you know, you can find another property exactly the same, similar demographics, each location. So you do have some variables there, but we're always working with clients going, what's your secret source? What's yeah. the, you know, what, how, what works for you? It, it, what size is really important? Is it a 20,000 square foot operation you're working? Um, because it's economies of scale with this model as well. Do you need to be in a university city? Is it about needing to have car parking? It, are you taking grade A or B sort of office stock? All these factors, there's so many variables for sort of somebody starting up to consider and working out what model's right because there is so many different models yeah. and working yeah. out is there the demand as well because mm -hmm. some locations, you know, we've sort of looked at the high street and different things, but sometimes the property stock isn't right 
for the provision as well. So there's lots of things that need to line up as well. And it's interesting because flexible space is popping up everywhere now, isn't it? It's not necessarily just in an office building. Uh, you can also find flexible space um, in motorway service stations, um, in shops, uh, train stations. Um, they, they pop up in, um, I was about to say, the most unlikely of places, but they are actually obvious places because you get lots of people passing through, uh, business travellers and so on, who might need to pop in and use a desk for a few hours. So do you think, again, we'll, we'll start to see more of this? Often, I think it is customer expectations because sort of thinking of that co-working side, you know, you get a coffee at prep for quite a reasonable price and you just buy one coffee and you set up with a laptop. Is that a great sort of workspace experience? No. And I think the customer expectations do great, great service. The prices I work in and go in day to day, you know, it is a totally different level there. And that sort of drop in, drop, you know, when you're traveling and stuff is not a quality workspace in some ways where you know, you walk in, somebody knows your name and you feel like you feel accomplished because you've got all the rich amenities there. It's uh, So I think there is this thing of expectations that, you know, the more people understand about the industry and how they best work, I think is only going to help the industry increase, any, increase even more. Yeah. And what's hard is the co-working side where it's very small sort of, under sort of 8,000 square feet is really hard to make it work financially and make it viable. Mm. And that's where sort of that coffee shop sort of vibe or traveling vibe, it isn't the best environment and it's hard to make it work economically as well right. on that side. Yeah, so that's that's one challenge. Um, yeah. You mentioned um, a moment ago about community in workspaces. Um, mm. And actually, I was um, reading your blog earlier, and this was a blog post from 2020, and you very accurately predicted that when um, people start using offices again after the uh, the worst of COVID, oh. that um, they're going to want flexibility, productivity, and community. So there you go. That's oh, <laughs> <accurate>. <laughs> um, so flexibility, that's, yeah, we can totally understand why businesses want that. They want to reduce risk. Um, and then on the um, community side, that seems to link in with the productivity side. Uh, so I'm interested in this link between community and productivity. Um, what would you say is the value of community in a, in a flexible workspace? For me personally as well, seeing the value is community makes you, it's that sense of belonging and actually feeling like you're part of something mm. and that you're comfortable and what we've seen a lot of the increases being in sort of the member model as well member clubs and membership or bringing together with like-minded people has been huge and that's what people since covid have really missed and so it really you know actually it stretches you further you've got these people like-minded people that give you new ideas the constant growth there so i'd say the interesting ones we've seen sort of charities clustering together with say five fields with grosvenor and x and y there yeah. we've got impact hub that's just about companies about social impact together or a text-based tech companies that are ambitious for growth but we've also seen that like even Albright, which is women's only, bringing people together there as well and working together. So, so much options. You can find your own tribe. It might be that, you know, Soho House, you've got your membership there, you can have Soho Works or Hoxton, 
and working from with the hotel brands coming in. So you're finding your tribe of people that I think that's the thing with community mm. that's what works for you. Yeah. Interesting, the fisheries, I've got a phenomenal, they're North uh, London Fields actually, and they found during COVID that they introduced a, once a week on a Wednesday offering lunch for everybody and everybody getting together they have to book this um and having a meal sat down for good quality vegetarian and vegan meal together was the big thing for their community and actually they spent that time together they're very much um they see themselves as a daytime hotel as well i think that's wow. where we're really seeing that strong community and people will pay that premium as well where they have a wait, waiting list they don't offer any three-day passes at all because they have got that strong community so when the community works it's really strong you know yes. when you can come in and say hello to a few people but get your also get your head down and they respect you but you can smile to some you know they've got all the etiquette and niceties of environment with equal values in a place mm. that's when the true value can be seen there that's that's fantastic it's, it's like the social cohesion sort of sells the space doesn't it they don't really need to push it because they know that uh, people will value that sense of community and belonging that they've got there and this is where i think it will move to the participation economy as well that's really interesting that people understanding they have to give something to get that in return as well as opposed to just go in and expect that ready-made community yeah it is a two-way thing as well and i think that's sometimes with the expectations where it's packaged as community you, you buy into you know you buy this workspace you get community no you have to actually give something to get it back yes absolutely that makes sense um one thing i wanted to ask you um i know we are nearing the end of um, our episode but i wanted to ask you about um the ethical and sustainable side of flexible workspaces um, and when we spoke before, you said that these are, are two values that are, are very close to the modern customer's heart. Um, how how much is the want for a workspace that's sustainable and, um, and ethically operated? How much is that driving the decisions of business business owners and leaders? So we're now seeing businesses that are becoming B corporations. So they've gone for certification with, so they've got more awareness of asking the right questions to workspaces. That's where we've seen a lot of demands coming through where they're asking questions and wanting to know about the energy efficiency levels and much more detail. Mm -hmm. And so they've got ESG requirements within their company and they now are having to find a partner that can deliver those ones with a workspace. So that's been the, the one that also when I've done actually a blog about the different B Corps and it was about 24 different ones, we've seen a huge increase wow. of B Corp providers within the sector as well. And that's sort of showing a direct response to that. It's really confusing, I think, to, with as a consumer making decisions when you get well certification, RIAM, uh, why it's got you've got all these different certifications making choices on those so i think that's why quite a few companies have made it you know they've that b corp certification made it much more simpler so hence why the take up there right. but businesses definitely wanting to to see it happening i think some of the complaints and the frustrations are more around when the recycling bins emptied and it all goes into one bit you know 
yeah. or goes into one rubbish bin anyhow when things aren't happening yes. and people not actually walking the walk and and so actually it's a greater thing that everybody is pulling together and seeing that seeing much more clauses of green leases so keeps on you know growing and evolving and everybody's learning and asking more and demanding more so that's what's bringing the change there fantastic um and that brings me on to my last question um just thinking ahead uh, a few years into the future what do you think um today's flexible workspaces might need to do to meet the needs of the future workforce can you are there any emerging trends happening at the moment that you think might become more important over the next few years for the flexible office sector as a whole the the side that's the weakness at the moment is very much investment into the market because there isn't the transparency with data it isn't like the hotel as an alternative asset class that they know what what returns to expect so the next evolution is going to be and i think we've heard of sort of few businesses like we work that unicorn and stuff and not not so hot on the costings and what it takes to run a great workspace and actually the margins and what you can expect so that's where the appetite for more investors to look at the sector and get excited about the sector is all on you know, benchmarks and data and actually the sector solving that back to 1980s when the hotel sector they've got much more spaces of service people are coming on a daily basis and using a space and can make them and demonstrate how the model works the flex sector needs to um, go through that maturity because at the moment we've seen last week with a lot of the property funds seeing st james's mng at the moment sort of stopping any investors taking money out with those funds and so there's a bit, there's concerns over sort of investing into commercial property right. but it, when it works you know good operators and working well the flex office sector does show those returns but it's it's proving that to the investment market so yeah. so that's the big thing that's going to then have the knock-on impact that we're going to get these investors into the market that then can see the returns and the future in the market as well yes. but that's that's the stumbling block is more the investment side for me right. and that's part of the equation that it will be solved and sort of by sort of three to five years it will be solved and actually there might be funds yeah for just the flexible office sector investors buying into funds with a, a numerous providers because i'm excited about the providers doing phenomenal things growing at scale they know their business model there um you just look at x and y a clockwise into europe as well and offering great service and and they just that they need the investor backing as well to yes. be able to get the growth of the, the knock on there so so that's the big thing i think just <laughs> unlocking the capital yes absolutely that's food for thought so that workspace operators got to think about drawing in that investment. Um, and they do a lot of that through through the data and through focusing on what their customers want. And that will help to position yes. them. And I think the, it's also the, you know, now we're getting, seeing these different types of models and understanding, because we've got much more blended use, say, with restaurants and members clubs. As well. These are where it's all coming to, sort of makes it more with lots of different revenue streams, but once we've got more providers with the data all sharing, yes. then it can show and prove the business model there. Absolutely. 
Fantastic. Well, um, we've just about reached the end of our episode, Zoe. So thank you so much for um, sharing all your wonderful insights with us today. Um, definitely given us lots to think about. Um, and if uh, anybody wanted to get in touch with you to uh, dive into this topic further, what's the best way to contact you? So LinkedIn's preferred sort of communication channel for myself. With my name, Zoe Ellis-Moore, it is quite easy to find me with spaces to places by just typing that in. So do reach out, Love, you know, great to connect with anybody there, especially driving forward the sector as a whole. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and have a good rest of the day. Likewise. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space.